Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. I took piano lessons for many of my childhood years, and though there was never really any question that violin was my main instrument, there were quite a few things about the piano that I really liked. I mean, not having to worry about intonation was freaking awesome. And being able to play more than two or three notes at a time, and really loudly at that, that was also pretty cool. But as satisfying as it was to play a single note or chord and have it sound pretty darn good despite my very mediocre piano skills, the challenge, of course, was stringing multiple notes together. Because compared with violin, there are so many notes. Two hands, doing totally different things. So, of course, on some level, I suppose it's all kind of the same, whether we're talking about piano, violin, clarinet, percussion, voice, or anything else. Because no matter the instrument, making music is not about making one note sound good, but about connecting notes in a meaningful and compelling way. Taking single discrete motor actions, like a single note, and linking them together into a longer and more complex sequence of movements, like a phrase, which is a process known as binding in the neuroscience literature. And apparently, how the brain does this has been a bit of a mystery, although a recent study provides some pretty intriguing clues. So how does the brain actually string together single actions into sequences, and why should we care? Like, does any of this have any practical implications for how we should structure our daily practice? A team of researchers recruited 33 right-handed individuals to participate in a simple learning study. Each of the participants was asked to sit in front of a computer screen and type out a particular sequence of numbers, 41324 for what it's worth, on a number pad with their left hand as quickly and accurately as possible. They were then given 36 10-second blocks of time to practice this number sequence, with a 10-second break between each practice block. In other words, when the practice block began, the numbers 41324 would appear on the screen, and they'd practice typing out 41324 as quickly and accurately as possible until 10 seconds had passed, at which point the numbers on the screen would be replaced with X's, and they'd sit there and look at the X's until the numbers reappeared and the next 10-second practice block began. 
The participants were all hooked up to an MEG, or magnetoencephalography device, which is a type of brain imaging technology that detects and records neuromagnetic activity within the brain on a millisecond-to-millisecond basis, allowing researchers to map this activity to specific parts of the brain. And what were researchers looking for? Well, one of the theories that has been proposed to explain this binding process is that of neural replay, where during pauses or rests in our practice, the brain basically reactivates the same neural circuits that are activated when physically performing the skill, only much faster. Kind of as if our brain were fast-forwarding through the sequence of motor movements a bunch of times to reinforce what it just did. So the researchers were curious to see if they would find evidence of this sort of neural activity during the 10-second practice breaks. And did they? Well, they found a couple things. So typing out 41324 is not a super difficult task, and most participants got the hang of the task pretty quickly, with about 95% of their learning gains taking place within the first 11 or so practice blocks. And when researchers took a closer look at the rate of improvement during this early learning period, they found that most of the gains in performance occurred not during the practice blocks when participants were actively typing out the numbers, but between the practice blocks when they were resting. I know, that's crazy, right? Because this suggests that the breaks or periods of waking rest between practice blocks were as integral a part of learning as the practice itself. As one of the NIH researchers involved in the study noted, It seems to be that most, if not all, of early learning occurs over these rest periods, and virtually nothing is detected during the practice intervals. And why might that be? Well, this goes back to that theory about neural replay. And when the researchers looked for evidence of this in the MEG data, they found that indeed, during the 10-second rest breaks between practice blocks, the brain appeared to reactivate or replay the same neural circuits associated with performing the task physically, only 20 times faster, a speed which suggests that this was all happening in the background and isn't related to imagery or mental practice, which generally isn't time-compressed in this way and takes about the same amount of time as performing the skill itself. So what are we to do with all of this? Well, previous research has established that getting good sleep is an important factor in the consolidation of motor skills. But this study suggests that integrating wakeful rest into our practice could be a really important factor to consider as well. There isn't enough research out there yet to know exactly what the optimal ratio or formula for rest and practice might be to maximize learning. So it doesn't mean that we should always integrate a 10-second pause into our practice after every 10 seconds of practice because that would probably be pretty annoying. But I do think it'd be worth experimenting with tiny micro-breaks throughout a practice session between groups of practice repetitions. Like, instead of hammering away at a difficult passage over and over and over until you're satisfied with it, maybe allow yourself just a few repetitions or a few minutes worth of repetitions to see if you can get the problem passage to sound just right. And then, whether you've solved the problem or not, take a nice, deep, meditative, one-breath micro-break So no sneaking a glance at your phone notifications, for instance. And then, test out the passage again to see if the improvement stuck. Or try it a few more times to see if you can get closer to the solution. And then take another micro-break. And so on, until you've reached the end of your allotted practice time or finished your to-do list for that session. You'll undoubtedly have to experiment with the spacing and duration of these micro-breaks in your practice so that it feels helpful and not a frustrating interruption to your practice flow. 
there's a big difference between these within session micro breaks and those longer practice breaks that you take between practice sessions, where you get sucked into a YouTube rabbit hole only to emerge hours later, no longer in the right headspace to get anything productive done. But anyhow, what I like about this particular practice hack is that regardless of the potential learning effects and benefits, the idea of a micro break is probably a good one to explore anyway, even from just a purely physical perspective. Because micro breaks are a nice way to release muscle tension and avoid that tendency to get progressively more tense and wound up as our practice session progresses. So at first glance, reducing the number of repetitions you engage in during practice might seem like a counterproductive strategy, but if integrating a few short pauses into your practice sessions every few minutes could accelerate learning and also help to prevent pain and injury, it certainly seems like a hack worth trying. You can find links to this week's study and other resources at bulletproofmusician.com blog. And if you found the episode helpful, please share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think might also enjoy experimenting with this during the coming week.